The following audio is from the King's Chapel. You can find out more about our church at thekingschapel.org. Thank you uh, so much for saying that, Maria. What if I don't, you know? Make me... we'll, We'll have that talk later. She's walking away, turning her back to me. I understand that. I've known Maria forever. I've known her um, husband since he was like five years old. So uh, that's, uh, uh, she is the very best among many, among many. These are my children. I've been here a long, long time. I entered the ministry, I think I was about uh, 26 years old. I'm now 68. That's 42 years for those of you who can still add, unlike me, but or subtract or whatever that is. You know, this this morning, the title of the sermon is The Aim of Our Charge. A charge is something given, say to a soldier, son, I want you to do this. (laughs) Go into into battle, face the enemy, uh, 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 be a titan in the midst of midgets, whatever it is the general, colonel, lieutenant colonel say, sorry and say when you're going into a battle. And we are in a very complex battle, and I am trusting the Holy Spirit to lead and guide as we go through this. But we're not the ones that can win any battle, not here on earth, not uh, politically, financially, whatever. We ultimately are utterly dependent on the King of kings and Lord of lords. If he is and if he exists, he walks beside you. He lives in you. And I think this moment is a time for utter dependence on the Lord, utter dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit living inside the individual believer to speak to our hearts, to manifest himself in our culture in dramatic ways so that people will be saved. I don't need signs and wonders, not fake ones, that's for darn sure. But what is also certain is we need everything he wants to bring to us, bring to the table for the moment in which we live. For as those prayed out here this morning, I'm, I'm actually glad for those prayers, which <laughs> if I allowed myself might depress me a little bit. You know, we're, we're beseeching the Lord in a time that is troublesome. There's no question about it. Those of us that are old as I am, you'll remember Vietnam. And these, these moments are, are similar, very similar, in fact. Chaos in certain parts of the culture, all all kinds of ideas and philosophies floating around. And yet at that time, there was something called the Jesus movement. Now, I don't know about all of the complexity of the movement. All I know was I was lost, but I was found. That someone came to me with a new way of living, a new perspective, and more than that, a new person living inside them. So I want to write to you about the, the aim of our charge, which ultimately is love. But I'm going to read you a a little bit of rough stuff, and after a while, I may have to put on my glasses to read my own handwriting in the notes here. Timothy's grandmother, uh, Lois, was was named Lois. We're going to talk a little bit uh, here because we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy. And uh, this is a boy that was beloved of uh, the man who was his, if you will, godfather uh, the Apostle Paul. And certainly over the months that we went over Acts, we got to know Paul very well. And we got to know his love for this young man. And uh, his mom and his grandmother were both believers. They were Jewish, but had come somehow to faith in Christ. They were in Lystra, which is a part of Galatia. That really doesn't matter. 
Paul, released from prison, as best we can tell, our guess is, uh, before going on his fourth missionary journey, which no one really knows about, the Bible doesn't describe it, but the assumption is based on certain clues that he went out there. And somewhere along the line, he writes a letter from who knows where to his servant Timothy, and it's the one that uh, we're going to look at today a little bit, First Timothy, and we're not doing a series here. This is kind of a stopgap measure just for a moment as we go and talk about the one another's, but, but I, I hope the Lord has led me to this, and I believe he has. Paul, having written a letter, what this is, it's a corrective. He's going into a city with the letter, and that city is Ephesus, and those of you may remember, it was a pretty much titanic port city filled with all kinds of incredible gross immorality. Let's get this out of the way. Every night, a thousand cult prostitutes would come out and as a form of worship, get paid to, well, you know, be sexually immoral. It was uh, quite a culture. I don't think we're quite there yet, but maybe, maybe we are, or maybe we're going there. I don't think so, because I think that's, that uh, grace it abounds when things get bad. I think God glories in winning lost people to himself. And my prayer is that we will be effective in that ministry. So Paul, after he was just in prison at the end of Acts, as best we could tell, he probably went on another journey and he writes to Timothy. The primary reason for the letter, because of false teachers in Ephesus, this giant city, this mega city, this, this uh, center of idolatry the center of gross immorality, had in the church of Jesus, surprise, surprise, greedy, arrogant, speculative craziness, theological nuttiness. We don't know what they were teaching, but as best we can tell, it was speculation about the law of God and also a talk of asceticism, that is how to be pure in your own straight or, or how to not be ever married or how because God is really uh, just a, um, uh, a, a distant kind of figure and uh, the, carn the carnal man, the fleshy man is, is, can do no wrong because flesh is not important in the view of some of these false teachers that came to the church. So you can do whatever you want sexually or you can not do, there were different uh, strains, different chords being played on the piano there in the town. That was great. And then there was a group of Jewish brothers that like they were in a, a chess game every day would argue the scriptures. They would argue about passages from the Old Testament and personalities. They might run, write their own fanciful documents regarding uh, a biography of Joseph or, or Adam or Eve. Uh, Flavius Josephus, the famous historian and, and really kind of a, a general in the Hebrew army as it's destroyed by, in Jerusalem by the Roman armies, he would write these documents. I've read them. And his fanciful approach, often accurate in its broad outlines, but really kind of fictional in his things written to the emperor of Rome telling him about the Jewish experience and story. It was a strange time. The primary reason for this letter, 1 Timothy, was false teachers. <sighs> Paul knows that Christianity is life transforming. And what this teaching was doing was promoting speculations, 
There was intellectual arrogance. People would argue over the Cracker Barrel about everything in the body of Christ. And it seems like truth was a moving target. Uh, True Christianity transforms lives. It creates beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. Yes, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And as Mark said this morning, holiness in the believer's heart. Now, this is not the kind of holiness that is white-knuckling self-abasement before the Lord, self-beating on yourself so that somehow that's a form of holiness. No, 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 no. It's more like a glow and an infusion of divine power and help. Truth is our rule. Humility is the believer's heart, not arrogance, but generosity. Not uh, being a tightwad, but a giving person where greed dies. And these guys that were perpetrating this kind of teaching in Ephesus, uh, the apostle felt and Timothy felt, were trying to steal from the people of God. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, Greed dies where generosity grows. Now, let me start the passage. Paul, an apostle... Apostle means someone that's sent out. He wasn't out on his own. God put him out. He's out there in the hinterlands writing to his son. An apostle of Jesus Christ by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. I'm going to comment on that just a moment. But let me read to you the character of the society in which they lived. And it will very much remind you of the moment in which we live. Tacitus, Rome's great historian, talked about the situation in the sound. And remember, the Apostle Paul starts this thing. The sent out one says, by command of God, our Savior. Now, a Savior is someone that comes in at the end of the show and rescues everything and fixes everything and makes it better and more wondrous. God, our Savior. Jesus, our Savior. The Holy Spirit, our Savior coming along and helping us in the time of need and of Christ Jesus, our hope. He goes right for the spiritual jugular here in this section. Tacitus tells us why he's using this kind of terminology when he describes the era that Paul and Timothy were ministering to. I am entering upon the history of a period rich in disaster. He's talking about Rome and the Roman Empire. Gloomy with wars, rent with seditions, nay, a savage in the very hours of peace. Four emperors perished by the sword. There were three civil wars. There were more with foreigners, and some had the characteristic of both at once. Rome was wasted by fires. Its oldest temples were burned. The very capital set in flames by Roman hands. By Roman hands. The defilement of sacred rites. Adultery in high places. The sea crowded with exiles. Islands of rock drenched with murder. Yet wilder was the frenzy in Rome, nobility, wealth, the refusal of office, its acceptance. Everything was a crime, and virtue was the surest way to ruin. It's an interesting thought in the hour we live. Nor were the rewards of the informers less odious than their deeds. One found his spoils in a priesthood. 
or a consulate, another in a provincial governorship, another behind the throne, all with one delirium of hate and terror. In other words, the religious classes had gone to the far, far dark side of the force. Slaves were bribed to betray their masters, freedmen their patrons, and he who has no foe was betrayed by his friend. A famous writer, Gilbert Murray, said this was a time when men experience failure of nerve. They wanted protection, a defense. I think it's a time very similar to the one we're living in. A savior, a savior from the advancing chaos of the world. You know, many years ago, around the time of Vietnam, there was a, a man who was an actor. He played, I think, Daniel Boone's uh, Native American friend, if I could pose that correctly. And the actor's name was Ed Ames. He was a member of the Ames Brothers singing group. And I remember I would play on my record player, and I'm sure sing along with him, the song, Who Will Answer? And it was a song that talked about the crazed insanity of man and the situation on the planet using broad terms. And as I said, the title was Who Will Answer? And at the end of the song, at the conclusion of this song about a despairing world and its need for hope and encouragement, he sings in a trinity of verses, He Will Answer. He will answer. He will answer. We need heaven's champion to help us face both life and death. We need God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, verse 2. My true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, mercy, and peace my true child in the faith. You know, being a child in the faith for Timothy was a very special and unique and wondrous thing. I've had many children in the faith, certainly my nine children, but there's been more than that. And, and here's where I'm going with this. Let me tell you a, a very recent story. So one of my grandchildren who is um, an example of nobility. His name is Christian. He was with his uh, sister, who's probably six years old now. And whenever you see them together, she's a tiny little blonde, one of the cutest human beings you will ever see in your life. And he is near six feet tall, handsome, African-American man. And almost every moment they are somewhere together, she is on his back. <clears throat> or in his lap, because this noble man is a Christian, as his name states. And what goes on between those two is Jesus Christ has invaded their lives. That's what happened. And that's where the lines, those lines that are drawn by human beings end and cease, and the way they end is through love. Through love, not assessment of your looks, your weight, your color, but do you love me and do I love you? The aim of our 
charge. You know, when I was a kid, we would sing this song, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me, and it went on. Let there be peace on earth, the peace that was meant to be with God as our Father, brothers all are we. Let me walk with my brother in peace eternally. The school I sang that in was a public school in Portsmouth, Virginia. About 30% black, about 70% white, probably about 80% of them all poor. And yet we gathered together and sang and the songs were filled with beauty. And they spoke of a God who cared and a Christ who died unashamed in a different portion of America's history. And, and, and this is why we need to pray, because we remain one hope on this crazy planet. And do you know why we're the hope of the world in a certain sense and have been? Because of the fantasy and the reality of days like that, of times like that, when we knew that we needed an answer and asked, who will answer? And there were people in the schools and highways, on the buses in my particular sing city singing, he will answer, he will answer, he will answer. Rome was no different. This time was no different. You heard what I said. It was a nightmare walking. Unbelievable. And yet, and yet the good news was God so loved the world as the song went this morning that he gave us. You know, in this, in this hour, there was this song out there on the street. Perhaps you'll remember it. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's still true, isn't it? Or perhaps you remember the cartoon. I think it was in a, a famous magazine. Forgive me, I can't remember the name of it. But it, it became a song. And it went like this. I'm not going to sing it. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. <laughs> My father would repeat that to us over and over again to knit the hearts of his sons. Now, if we can be brothers and sisters in Christ and radiate yet again something to our culture, a light will be turned on whether we live or die. No matter what hell brings, heaven is available to the believer and he can come alongside you to, the hound of heaven, the God of heaven, the great Christ of heaven, and give you peace in a tumultuous time. Christianity transforms lives. Paul, an apostle, he was sent out, and he had a child named Timothy. And Timothy was out there to give an answer for the hope that lay within him. If you read his story, and I know you have, it seems that he's rather timid in certain ways. Paul says, do the work of an evangelist. Oh my gosh, can you imagine being a tender-hearted, maybe intellectual young man uh, from a, a, a mixed family? The dad was Gentile, the mother was Jewish, a Christian, and you're going out there, and this man that you're following, that is your father in the Lord, has been so beaten and so tormented that his body looks like a dartboard, and he says, do the work of an evangelist. Why? Because he believed that Jesus Christ was not only the light, but the hope of the world. And somebody had to tell people. That's why my friend Diana worked so hard 
She, in a sense, is one of my children in the Lord. She lost all her par- both her parents through tumultuous circumstances, came to live with us off and on as a teenager. And we were so grateful to have her there, but it wasn't just her. It was Brian Roberts out there and his whole family, in a sense. He came to me from a very tough situation, but Christ had won him. Christ had bought him, and Christ had strengthened him for the hour and for his nation raised him up not only to protect and defend, but also to bring a message of hope and salvation to his world. My friend Ines Bryant, darling girl, African-American missionary to prostitutes largely white in, in Amsterdam, Holland. Christ made a difference through her. He didn't seem to care what color she was, although he did care what spirit lived in her and what doctrines she held here in this city of emphasis. Christ still cared about those things. Grace to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace. Mercy and peace. Peace is the antithesis to every kind of conflict. It's the antithesis to the war that goes, the struggle, the passions that strive for supremacy in our own heart and life. But he's also the peace for this moment in this place. He is filled with grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's what he gives us in return for our humble hand raised when we do the hand raising and something. I'll do it now. Guys, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm telling you he's here and he wants to invade your life in the best and most beautiful of ways. There is nothing like him and no one like him. Jesus Christ can make a difference in your life and change you from the inside out. If he did it for me, he'll do it for you. So many people, this little girl that gets up here and sings all the time, Sarah Wells, her mom lived with us. Her mom, and her mom's mom died of cancer. That's why we got her. And they are both still following the Lord with all their heart as Sarah is in leading worship here. God is doing something. Have you identified people in your life that you can help and minister to, to make them more and more a reflection of Christ? Grace is lifting up our empty hand to God and saying, I have all kinds of problems. Make me new. Lord Jesus, make me new. Mercy is what he gives us, undeserved, unmerited, and yet he comes to us and says, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And then thirdly, he gives us peace. In Hebrew, the word was shalom. Richard Tucker, the great tenor, used to sing the song, shalom, shalom. It was like the universal answer for everything. And is it not? Does it not remain the universal antidote for the moment in which we're living? We are all struggling with levels of anxiety because of sickness, because of societal corruption, because of potential annihilation, in a sense, some would say, or guess, or be scared of. Guess what? They cannot kill that which will never die. To be absent from this body, the Bible declares, the word of God, Jesus, is to be present with the Lord. And those of us that are believers are with him right now. We're already, in a sense, in heavenly places. 
A famous commentator said this, peace is the antithesis to every kind of conflict and war and molestation, to enmity without and distraction. Leaning on Christ and Christ alone is how peace comes. Where are you not at rest? Where do you need his help? What is that place of nerve rackness and brokenness that you need filled in? Christ has the answer. A poet wrote this, bowed down beneath a load of sin by Satan, sorely pressed. He's a foe, but he's a defeated foe. By war without and fears within, I come to thee for rest. Paul knew that Timothy's challenges that he was putting before him to go into his town and correct false doctrine were, uh, his challenges were largely interior. That perhaps he lacked peace. He had been prophesied over. That he was essentially, we don't know what they prophesied, but basically it was, you're going to go to people and you're going to tell them about my love. And, And what happens with Timothy is he is in the city and he works and he labors for years to bring a Christian witness and establish Christian churches and small groups and do whatever he could. Ultimately, he ends up, as his, the, the history records, the bishop of a major city, Ephesus. Apparently, he heard the words of God. He had a desperate need at this time for both the mercy of God especially the mercy of God, because one translation of the idea of mercy, it's help in a time of need. You know, dealing with addiction, all of us have it in some way or another, I'm afraid. Um, Relapse is a part of recovery. Let me say it again. Relapse is a part of recovery. And when you have been hit in the face and you're down on the mat and you know you've done wrong and you know you've failed and you know something's come apart, if relapse is a part of recovery and that idea and concept comes from the mercy of God also buttressed with hope and love, then you're going to be all right and not only all all right, you're going to be forgiven, you're going to be cleansed, you're going to be renewed. From God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge, I'm going to conclude with this, the aim of our charge and what I'm doing as you're dealing with these people People that are probably like the people in our culture. I remember when, this is a common, oh my gosh, baloney thing. Gold flecks, if you ever see gold flecks falling from the sky, you guys never would. But there are parts of the country where uh, believing people watch this stuff. People say they raise people from the dead, etc. I, I, I do not deny that Christ can raise people from the dead. But this is the kind of baloney that was going on in this town. People were being forbidden from being married or on the other side, they were encouraged to be immoral because somehow the body didn't count. There was all kinds of craziness. Maybe they were doing gold dust because greedy people were turning religion into a form of gain. It was not only they made money, they made lots of money off phoniness. 
a cheap magician's tricks. I knew one guy that worked at a service after one of these gold things. I hope you never have to experience it, but he looked at it. They were little flecks of golden plastic, like the things you find in makeup. Oh my gosh, is this where it was in Ephesus? I can assure you that's what Timothy was walking into, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or what they're doing or the things about which they make confident assertions. That's the people that were teaching at that time. But here is what Paul wanted and here is what we need. And the only thing we need at the end of the day is verse five and I conclude, the aim of our charge young soldier, sailor, air force, marine, male, female, the aim of Jesus' charge through the apostle Paul and Timothy to any culture is love that issues from a pure heart. How do we get a pure heart? Through confession and uh, uh, asking God for his mercy and a good conscience. How do we get a good conscience? by keeping it clean, by doing the right things. When God says, yes, we do that thing. When he says, no, we don't do that thing. It's very simple and yet profound, but you're not in the battle for a clear conscience alone. Number one, he'll cleanse you from an impure conscience. But number two, he will enable you to live far beyond your own frail abilities. And at the last, at the end of the day, a sincere faith, a sincere faith. There are a lot of phonies out here. Let it not be said of you, my friend. Let it not be said of you. What drew me to Christ at the end of the day was the character and decency and the love of people who had been given a charge, a charge to live in a certain way filled with love. I felt it from them. They were the real deal. There was not phoniness. There was not false doctrine. Jesus had paid it all. All to him they owed. Sin had left its crimson stain. They had been wiped white as snow. And to this day, those people that I traveled with are still following Jesus Christ decades later. Let's bow our heads to pray. Lord, we are living in the same culture, the same craziness as ancient Rome. Corruption, deceit, malignity, it's all there, Lord. And yet, into that world you sent your son. You dropped him into the water of that impure time and he spread a gospel message that you so loved the world that you gave him. Lord, fill our hearts with love. Let the charge to love with a clear conscience and a pure heart, Lord, and sincere faith be that thing that is emblazoned on us from this moment on. Let us write it in our wallet if we have to, but this is who we are. And oh, Lord God, come upon us in might and power to change the world. We ask this, Lord, as seriously as we can. In Jesus' name, amen.